The idea is that every single time you're typing something up and sending it, there's an opportunity to be more clear, to make a stronger connection, and to increase the likelihood of conversion by including a video message in place of or in complement to the text that you're otherwise sending. And so anytime and anyone that you're sending an asynchronous typed out message is a chance to record a video and include that with it or to pull one from your library or to do a screen recording or whatever the case may be to make the message more clear and to make it easier. You're listening to the Paris Talks Marketing Podcast, where we interview top marketing leaders at high growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. Our goal with this podcast is to cut through the fluff and jargon of digital marketing to reveal what's really working at some of the fastest growing, most successful SaaS companies today. The Paris Talks Marketing Podcast is sponsored by Hop Online, a performance growth marketing agency. If you like this episode and would like to have a similar conversation with someone at our agency, just go to hop.online, H-O-P.online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, let's get into the episode. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. Today, my guest is Ethan Butte. Ethan is the chief evangelist of BombBomb, and he's also the host of the Customer Experience Podcast. In addition to that, he's been a Wall Street Journal bestselling co-author of Human-Centered Communication, which is now free in digital copy, and of Rehumanize Your Business. Ethan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Excited to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. You're one of the rare guests that I've had on who's doing both a podcast and a book. Do those things complement each other or which one came first, the, the book writing or the podcasting? It's interesting. The book writing came first, but the shift in my title, I was VP marketing, but I shifted from VP marketing to chief evangelist at the same time that we were releasing Rehumanize Your Business and B, I was starting the customer experience podcast. That's now three and a half years-ish ago. And so I started writing the book because I was just excited about how far the movement had come. This idea of using simple personal video messages in place of what would otherwise be faceless typed out text and emails and LinkedIn messages, text messages, Slack messages, et cetera. And we just come a long way as a company and as a community. And so I just started writing kind of the what, why, who, when, and how of video email and video messaging, and then figured out how to bring a book to market. So the book was first, podcast was on its heels, and the two worked together, but human-centered communication in that book, I wrote both books with my longtime friend and team member and our CMO here at BombBomb, Steve Passanelli. And in that second book, we actually roped in 11 of our expert friends to inform the strategies and tactics under this framework of human-centered communication. And mm-hmm. several of them I met through the podcast. So there are a number of like cross benefits between the two, doing a book and guesting and hosting on podcasts, but the book came first. All right, cool. Can you walk us through the basic premise of human-centered communication? Yeah, absolutely. So Steve and I, again, did Rehumanize Your Business, launched it in spring of 2019. The movement in general of video email and video messaging was certainly getting more popular. Like our first, so BombBomb was legally founded in 06, go to market was 2011. So we've been at this a long time. And really, I feel sincerely and with you know, appropriate humility that we really pioneered this space with and through our customers and our broader community. And so that kind of our first phase of competitors had fallen off. This new wave had come on and was drawing a ton of venture capital. We're a bootstrap company. Mm -hmm. And so we launched the book and the movement was picking up steam, you know, 2019-ish. I think that's when, you know, for folks that spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, you're certainly seeing a lot more of early talk and experimentation around video email and video messaging like they're even pre-2020. 
And we observed though, that a lot of people were treating it as like a gimmick or a parlor trick. A lot of the first use cases were video prospecting, but because the only thing that was different in a lot of those motions was that we were now doing it with video. It's the same kind of half-baked targeting, half-baked messaging, kind of not amazing value props or even approaches to how to put together a series of pieces of communication to provoke engagement. A lot of people were just jamming that same kind of crappy stuff into videos. And it's teaching this whole group of people that haven't seen one before that, oh, this is just a new way to say do that same old stuff. And so we decided to take on this idea of we have to sell and serve more often digitally, virtually, and online. The channels that we're trying to connect and communicate in are noisier and more polluted than ever. It's in the subtitle is a business case against digital pollution. We're going into that that battle of connecting and communicating with human beings digitally, virtually, and online in noisy and polluted channels with something that is absolutely not up to the job, which is faceless typed out text. And of course, at the same time, the buyer's journey is far from linear. To call it nonlinear is the understatement of the day. I kind of don't even care what Alice has said today. To call the buyer's journey nonlinear is the understatement of the day. And customer expectations are higher than ever. So what are we going to do about that? And so that's how we, that was the kind of scene, this idea that video was being misused in messaging and that the world had changed and we needed to stay ahead of that and figure out how to truly connect and communicate, not just show up, turn our cameras on. So what we all figured out in COVID is like, oh, you turn your camera on. We're good to go. That's not enough, right? That's not enough going forward at least. And so that was the kind of the scene that we were trying to create a framework and some, again, specific strategies and tactics and then inform it with a variety of experts. Yeah, got it. I'm interested to know, I remember pre-COVID that the big movement I remember it starting maybe 2018-ish or 2019 where everyone started to do this and you started to even expect that a lot of the emails, a lot of the outreach outbound type of emails would have a little video thumbnail in there, which was personalized. And then COVID hit and then everybody moved to online virtual meetings. How did that change the way people perceive today, the way people perceive BombBomb and their approach to video? Yeah, it's interesting. It's a really good question. So when I started writing the book, I think we maybe had 40 or 50,000 customers. And so this was like before anyone anyone outside of maybe epidemiology was imagining, you know, a global pandemic. And so like people were finding ways to use this, even though it was completely from a health perspective, a political perspective, a cultural perspective, perfectly normal to show up in someone's office or to meet at the neighborhood coffee shop or to, you know, get on an airplane and go visit someone's offices, whatever the case may be, in order to build relationship and generate revenue. But there was still a very unique place for video email and video messaging. What the pandemic did, at least at BombBomb, a lot of the bigger deals in our pipeline at the time, all of a sudden, we actually don't need approval from those two other people. Actually, those red lines are enough. We're not going to keep messing with it. Let's just get this thing signed. Like move, 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 move. And so all of our numbers on the board were 2X or 3X original plan for about three months. And so the upside of that, of course, was that a lot of people finally had this provocation to commit and start behaving in this way. The problem is some percentage of those people, and I would extend this beyond to any of our competitors as well, people who came 
to this opportunity in that context saw it as a pandemic solution. And so as some of the norms settle back and it is medically appropriate or culturally appropriate or politically appropriate to show up in person again, people started retreating from this opportunity, but it's so premature. Like this is a thing. So, and then I'll give it back to you in just a minute. So we have this, what we're doing now, a live video call where we, it's like, it's as if we're together. It feels like we're together, even though intellectually we know we're just connected over a video cameras and a platform, but in-person meetings, Zoom calls, Microsoft Teams, WebEx, whatever on one side. On the other side, you have the convenience of email, Slack, LinkedIn messages, text messages, other social DMs, et cetera. Video messages live in this beautiful place exactly in between these two where it's got the richness of this in-person stuff, but the convenience of the asynchronous messaging platforms. And so it plays a very unique role. I think it transcends our ability to get together in person or not. I mean, the fact of the matter is, as I said before, we're going to be doing more work digitally, virtually, and online in the future, not less, no matter what happens from a virus or pandemic perspective. And so I think people who viewed it in this kind of like limited way and came to the opportunity in light of a pandemic and then have since retreated from the opportunity are making a big mistake for the long term. Mm -hmm. So my general sense is that Pre-pandemic, this tool was predominantly used by sales teams in outbound selling. And then people started to realize during the pandemic that this is an amazing asynchronous work tool. And so maybe the focus became shifted from external communication to internal communication. And now we're post-pandemic and maybe it's some mix of both. But of your current customer base, and by the way, how big is the customer base today? About 100,000. 100,000. So what is the predominant use case? How does it roughly shake out? And maybe there's a third use case or fourth that I'm totally missing, but of the use case of outbound emails versus internal asynchronous communication, when you look at all the videos created on a weekly, a monthly basis, how does it roughly shake out at BombBomb? Yeah. I mean, I will be guessing approximately. And I'll be guessing in part based on my own observation. I have personal relationships with hundreds and hundreds of our customers, and I'm constantly doing things like this, talking to people outside the organization, talking with customers, talking with our CSMs and our AEs, et cetera. And so I'll start with a big idea. The idea is that every single time you're typing something up and sending it, there's an opportunity to be more clear to make a stronger connection and to increase the likelihood of conversion by including a video message in place of or in complement to the text that you're otherwise sending. And so anytime in anyone that you're sending an asynchronous typed out message is a chance to record a video and include that with it or to pull one from your library or to do a screen recording or whatever the case may be to make the message more clear and to make it easier. When I say conversion, I mean, yes, the ultimate yes is like, yes, I'll sign this six or seven figure contract, that type of thing. But I also mean the smaller and the medium size yes is like, yes, I'll return your phone call. Yes, I'll make that personal introduction. Yes, I'll fill out an online review. All these conversions that we need. And so I'm using conversion very broadly here. And so Mm The use cases are as broad and useful as the use cases for LinkedIn messages, Slack messages, text messages, emails, et cetera. And so when I teach this, I've got three presentations this week, and I believe that I have the bow tie funnel from winning by design in all three of those decks. 
Mm-hmm. And the bow tie funnel takes the traditional sales and marketing funnel, AIDA, yeah. ends with action. Typically, that's a purchase, right? We all know that A, the physics are wrong. No one just gets in the top and slides down. It's ludicrous. It yeah. should be actually flipped over. And it's this effort to constantly climb up and not fall out, right? Because there's all this potential to fall out of a funnel, so to speak. But what the bow tie funnel does is lays it on its side, puts the point mm-hmm. of commitment in the middle, and then expands it out the other side with onboarding impact and growth with a growth loop over on the right side. And so the whole goal is whether we're talking about an employee life cycle where they need to be aware that we're hiring this type of thing and they need to be educated about who is the company, what are their values, what are the benefits and all these other things. They need to select us against other offers they might have or against staying in their current job because we lose mostly to the status quo no matter what we're selling. And then mm-hmm. onboard them into the organization, deliver some impact or get the impact we expect from them. Really goes both ways with an employee. And then this long-term growth loop where they're learning, growing, they're maybe inheriting a team or earning promotions or whatever the case may be. And our employees become our next best source of employees. Same Mm -hmm. thing for our customers, right? We need to prospect. We need to provide some education. We need to get into that selection phase of winning against other competitors. If they're looking, say, at BombBomb, if they're looking at other video messaging services or they're maybe, again, status quo, I'm not going to actually do this right now. They need to commit. We need to onboard them. They need to get some initial impact, like have that aha moment that, oh yeah, video messages are different and better. And then have this growth loop where they're buying more seats for their team or they're adopting this new product that we're offering so that lifetime value increases and that our customers become the source of our next best customers. And so across that whole funnel, whether it's internal or external, and by the way, you could also draw one out for your partners, strategic partners, vendors, suppliers, all the people in your value chain or supply chain, et cetera. You have the same thing of like these different phases. And so when you look at those and you look at where the friction and slowdown is, you'll find opportunities to say, oh, Maybe we need to warm this situation up, or maybe we need to explain that better, or maybe all these things are about using a human to make it easier for someone to say yes at that phase to continue their progression to that positive growth loop. And so to your question, another group of folks, so we definitely are serving large organizations where we have like the better part of their sales team. And that might be a BDR, SDR team. It might be their account executives and they're not doing prospecting with video, that type of thing. And then we also have account managers or CSMs, customer success managers and similar, like same thing. There's a very important revenue play. There's a very strong relationship play. There's an education play. It's Mm -hmm. post sale, but there's a lot of revenue attached there too. And so those are the two teams, usually a sales team and an account management or a customer success team. Of course, customer support also benefits from it. Following up after you know tickets to remind people of the thing that you talked about on the session and how they can resolve this in the future. The use cases are infinite, but as infinite as our use of other asynchronous messaging. And so I would say that most people, to your question, most people are using it for their sales teams. I think that the more clever people are recognizing that they can and should also be using it to communicate with their peers, to report up, to do some in-between the weekly one-on-ones, to do like some feedback and some encouragement on a one-on-one basis or to their team, that kind of a thing. And so this other group of people, I'm thinking right now of like mortgage, insurance, financial advisory, these people who their personal name is actually their brand name. When people make the referral, they're not referring to Pacific Life. They're referring to Jeff. You got to talk to my guy, Jeff. Jeff's the guy, right? And so Mm -hmm. Jeff, he may have a team that helps him do it. Or Tina has to generate the opportunities. She has to sell the benefits. She needs to close the deal, get the contract or the deal or the transaction or the commitment, and then onboard them, deliver some impact, and then grow. Like This group of people truly is a customer for life 
type mindset when done well. It's relationship-based, it's referral-based, and it's customer for life. So some of those people that use BombBomb a lot are responsible for that entire funnel. They might have some team members that support specific functions, but it's not like I have 18 people for awareness. I have 32 people for selection, for education and selection, et cetera. So I hope that was satisfactory and illustrative of the use cases of video. Yeah, I mean, it basically can act as either a substitute or complementary to any form of communication. And I think that still a lot of people are hesitating. And well, before I want to go into the acquisition marketing part, and then I want to get back into the a little bit of the psychology of getting in front of the camera. Awesome. Don't let me forget to come back to that. Okay. You mentioned- it's, it's the single biggest impediment to growth of the movement. It is. Yeah. Let's stay with that then, because that really fascinates me. I can tell you from my experience, and we've got an agency about, I don't know, close to 40 people, and 10% of us are extremely active with shooting videos. I probably do one or two a day myself, and there's a few others, but 90% are inactive, even though they know that this is the future and it's the trend, and they're strongly encouraged to do it, both internally and with our clients. But they don't do it. And I, there's still a camera shyness. There's, there's actual fear that even though I'm recording this and I can, do, I can do 10 or 20 takes until I feel like I've gotten it right, we're never really live the way me and you are live right now. But then I see that with certain people, once you get a few of them under your belt, there's this confidence hump that you get over and then it starts getting easier and faster. How do people overcome that? Are you seeing that also within your customers that there's still simply that fear of getting in front of the camera is similar to being on stage maybe? Absolutely. It is a very unique dynamic. So at this point, all of us are comfortable on Zoom. We know what our room looks like. We know, well, if these two boxes aren't checked, then I'm going to turn on the blurred background or, you know, I've made some arrangements. We see people like doing these crazy deluxe rig ups with like, you know, thousand dollar camera bodies and $1,800 lenses on their cameras to make it look like super. So people are on that curve at some level, but Mm -hmm. that curve is just like sitting across from the table from someone over coffee or lunch or sitting across a boardroom table or whatever the case may be, like the social dynamics and the implications and the outcomes of the conversation, maybe it's a sales presentation, like our nerves are in the outcomes and are we prepared enough and all of that. And then it comes and then it comes and goes. And so after the thing is over, you know, we're maybe periodically in our head or we're kind of strategizing a little bit, or we're not actively listening. And we're like thinking about what we need to say next or how we need to steer the con- So mm-hmm. we're aware of what's going on when we're live on zoom or live on Microsoft teams or Google meet or whatever the case may be, or across the table from somebody or across the table from a group of people. But that thing comes and goes, right? So we're a little bit in our head about it. After we may beat ourselves up, we'd be like, ah, I totally missed the opportunity when they asked this question. I totally forgot to kind of remind them of this, that, and the other thing. So we can beat ourselves up over it, but we don't dwell in it typically, right? Mm -hmm. It just comes and goes. The difference with a video message is you record it and then you can play it back and judge the hell out of every single second of it Mm -hmm. and then delete it before you ever put it in front of somebody. And this is a really problematic thing for a lot of people because we don't know what you second guess yourself too much, right? Totally. Well, and again, we are our own harshest critic. This vulnerability, which is just discomfort in the face of risk and emotional exposure, right? That's Brene Brown's definition of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. We all experience it intermittently throughout our lives. But when you think about like risk, uncertainty, and emotional exposure, it characterizes all of the best things that ever happened to us. 
you know, starting an agency, I'm sure took some nerve, right? Like I've never done it before. Can I do it? How will we do it? What's the approach? Are we positioning it the right way? Is this going to be funded the right way? What type of client is really going to be the best client? All of those are characterized by risk, uncertainty, and emotional exposure. But those are the things that super matter, right? And so when we feel vulnerable in this idea of I'm going to record myself, I don't like the way I look. I don't like the way I sound. I said, um, a couple times. I'm not sure if this is exactly the best way to answer the question or to position this thing or whatever the case mm -hmm. may be. The easiest thing for a human to do in the face of that vulnerability is just to hit delete and not send it. And so, which is really sad. I've seen thousands of people quit this opportunity before they ever start in earnest. And so to answer the, how do we get through it? It simply is a matter of practice and exposure. And to your point, you get four, five, six of them out the door. And then two or three of them, you get this reply back that's like, oh my God, it was so great to see you. It's been so long. That was amazing. Thank you so much for thinking of me. Or you answer a customer's question with a video because it's going to save you a ton of time instead of typing out a four paragraph response and dropping in three links to support articles. You can just talk to them or do a screen recording and just kind of walk them through it. And you'll get a reply back that's like, oh my gosh, no one has ever done this for me before. And it was so super helpful. And I actually shared it with my team member who was wondering how to do the same thing. That was like amazing. Thank you so much. And so like the positive feedback that you get that this is in fact different and better than what you would have done before, mm -hmm. along with the repetition of getting a handful of them out the door, that blend of actually doing it and saying, you know what, screw it, I'm going to send it. And I'm going to get this feedback that says this is different and better, essentially, yeah. is how you break through this kind of being in your own head, fearing judgment. And this is what it's all about, by the way, For basic human evolutionary psychology. We fear judgment and rejection. Consequences of that, you know, a couple of millennia ago were potentially fatal right? If you got judged and rejected by the tribe, you got thrown out. Now you're on your own in the desert or mm -hmm. on the mountainside or yeah. in the forest or wherever your tribe was, right? In the so Middle Ages, that, that could mean death. Huh? Fatal. Yeah. Now the consequences today aren't fatal, but that's still deep, deep in our evolutionary psychology. And so this fear of being judged and rejected by people that we want to be in relationship with prevents us from doing exactly the thing. This is the last thing I'll share. Exactly the thing that would reinforce and enhance or even establish the relationship in a much, much better way. And so the paradox of vulnerability is the exact same thing that makes this style of video difficult to do is the exact same thing that makes it so effective. Yeah. Well said. And I can tell you my little trick is that I don't even watch. I don't rewatch it even once. I record it and send it. Yep. And I, I imagine that it had been a live conversation. Now, a quick word from our sponsor. The Paris Talks Marketing Show is affiliated with Hop Online a performance marketing agency focused on high-growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. If you like the flow of this conversation, you may want to consider jumping on a discovery call with someone at Hop Online. A discovery call is similar to my podcast interviews in a lot of ways. We'll get to know your business goals, competitive landscape, and marketing needs. And you'll almost certainly come away with some new ideas for how to accelerate your customer and revenue growth. If you're interested, go to hop.online that's hop, H-O-P dot online and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now back to the episode. How many videos do you do on a typical day or a week? I'm just curious. Yeah, it depends. I've done about 14 or 15,000 over the past decade. My biggest day, I was just reaching out to customers. It was around this time of the year, several mm -hmm. years ago, and I just blocked an afternoon. It's like, I'm going to send as many thank you, kind of happy holiday season. I appreciate you so much 
with a little personal nugget in there. Um, mm. And I got almost 200 of them out the door in one afternoon. And I was doing other things Whoa. too, because each one of these could take like a minute or two, right? So 200 yeah. minutes is like three and a half hours. So you could do that. Or what I most often do is depending on what I'm doing that day or that week, I might send two or three a day because it's going to save me time or it's going to make a bigger impact. Or I just got an mm. intro to somebody. I send a lot in LinkedIn. Like I used to have this habit of sending a truly personal video to every single person I connected with on LinkedIn. And I did that for about six or seven months. But you know, mm. depending on how you use LinkedIn and how often you make new connections, that becomes really difficult to do on a sustained basis. So I do that in very select pockets. I've actually recorded an evergreen video before where I don't greet the person by name or mention anything specific about why we connected or what's on their profile. It's just like a, Hey, thanks so much for connecting. My name's Ethan. Wanted to warm up the relationship. The three things I talk about the most are video messaging, customer experience, and evangelism and evangelist marketing. And if you ever have any questions about those, reach out and let me know. In the meantime, have a great rest of your day. Happy to be connected. I'll keep an eye out for you in my feed. Right? Yeah. I used to greet every new connection with a voice recording in LinkedIn. And, yeah. and for many people, that was the first time they, that, that was the first one they had ever received. And I don't do it anymore either. I, I couldn't keep up, but I would say something like, Hey, Ethan, it's great to connect with you. I hope I can be helpful to you at some point and look forward to keeping in touch or something. It was seven, eight seconds. And that was fun when, but I simply couldn't keep up with that. And that's not something that you can outsource either. No, <laughs> and it's not scalable. It it isn't. And I'll uh, just a quick note on that. I've seen some AI kind of tools where they're faking the first name on the front of videos. So like you record a video for like all of your prospects in a particular segment, and then oh, you run it through this machine. The... Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, right now the tech is just, abs it's laughably terrible, right? Like the, yeah. Hey Paris, it's Ethan, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. You know, like it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's laughably terrible, but there will be a day when that gets ironed out yeah. and it's not so bad and it is seamless and the human brain maybe can't quite tell the difference. I think we're a, at least a couple few years away from that minimum, mm -hmm. but we'll get there. But even then, it's acting like the first name is the thing that matters. What matters is that I feel seen and heard and appreciated. Now, hearing my name is a step in the right direction, but it's not about my name any more than I go to my inbox. I have three inboxes and almost every email greets me by first name now, but I know yeah. which ones are personal and which ones are not because it feels different. The motivation mm -hmm. is different. The message is different. The language is different. When someone truly knows me, it's a different, even though all of them start with hello, Ethan, or hey, Ethan, or good day, Ethan, or good afternoon. Ethan, or I hope you had a nice weekend, Ethan. So the first name isn't the thing. It's about yeah. how you make people feel. And the way you make people feel is based in your sincerity and your intent. And to your point, so I'm going to blame you for this. You triggered me on this with the, sure. you can't outsource your own sincerity and your own intent and there's no mistaking it. Now you can't necessarily afford to invest that in every single moment and every single opportunity, but I challenge everybody to think about what those spots are. Like what spots really matter most? When does a team member really need to feel me or hear from me or feel supported, feel trusted, feel encouraged, feel seen? Same thing for our prospects and our customers as well. We need to find mm -hmm. those spots and make sure that there is a human experience present throughout that, that kind of like winning by design bow tie funnel, no matter which stakeholder we're assigning it to. You know, I think about how many emails I get on a daily basis and probably same with you that I archive without even opening. And I do everything on my phone. And, and most of those do start with hi Paris. And yep. some of them say hello there or something like that. Those are 99.9% .9 archive. 
But I still swipe, which way is it? Swiping right or the archive. I still do that on a large number of emails greeting me with my name. So it isn't about the acknowledgement of seeing my name that triggers it. I think it's a mixture of, well, the subject line and what I see that comes right after High Paris, whether or not I think it's too generic or spammy. Now, I know that statistics show that the emails that are sent with personalized video have a much, much higher engagement rate. But what are some of the keys to get somebody to open that email in the first place when they don't yet know that there's a video embedded that's personalized to them? How can you make them aware of that to at least get the opportunity for the video to be seen? Yeah, this is very, A, great question. B, this is kind of generic and intuitive, but it's still the thing and somehow we don't get it right. It reminds me of books like Seth Godin's Permission Marketing, which is now well over 20 years old, but you read it today it's still relevant. I mean, some of the terminology is a little bit off, but you read it and you're like, if more people acted in accordance with these ideas, we would be better off. So I qualify mm -hmm. this to say, it's not going to blow anyone's mind. It really is this simple. Before you type a single word, before you record a single second of video, be clear about what's in it for the other person. And if it's for a segment of people, what are the five or six things that you, you know, if this is true, if this is true, if this is false, and if this number is between this range and this number is between this range, make me a new list. And now you know what all those people have in common. Or if it's for one person, you obviously can do that to the nth degree. And so mm -hmm. whether it's a segmented and targeted thing or whether it's truly personal, what's in it for the other person? What's the benefit? What's the outcome? And the more clear you are about that, the better your subject line, the better your opening line, the better the video message, the better the call to action. And so when you make the subject line and the opening line about the other person, you're just in better shape. And so it's not like, you know, new webinar on Thursday, colon title of the webinar. It's like, what are they going to get out of it? Why should they show up? Why yeah. should they exchange their personal information in, in exchange for access to this recording? Because no one shows up live anymore, or very few do, or a lot less than used to. So when we make it about the other person, it's going to be much more likely to connect with them. And then B, when we bring that to life with our video, we can make it sincere that we actually do understand who they are, that we are motivated in their best interest, that we do understand their problem or their opportunity, or that we have a desire to understand it better. And so that's what the video message is for. Last tip here, when you are clear about who it's for, what's in it for them, and then what the call to action is, it's going to be tight from top to bottom. And when you're doing this with a video message, greeting one line opener that reinforces what's in it for them and drives the video play, right? So you want to encourage mm -hmm. them to play the video in the animated preview. Bomb Bomb does an animated preview automatically. You could do something like I could write down, you know, a note for somebody, or I could use a whiteboard or I could hold up someone's book. If it's an author, like whatever the case may be, I hold up business cards. Like when I come back from events and people can be business card, like hold their business card up. So they know that it's for them and it's about them. That's a cool um, idea. So, so you do that with the animated preview, you keep a nice tight video where you reinforce what's in it for them. And then you kind of move into like some kind of a, a thought or a supporting argument or whatever that is. And then you tease the CTA and then underneath the video, you reinforce the key takeaway and you reinforce the call to action. So never send a video by itself, give some context as to what's in the video and why someone should engage with it and anchor that in what's in it for them. Mm -hmm. Ethan, I would like to talk about your journey from, were you CMO or VP of marketing prior to the evangelist role? 
Yeah. So I was doing project work with the two co-founders of BombBomb for a couple of years before joining them full-time. I joined as basically the first and only marketer for a few years. We hired Steve Passanelli, our CMO. We had met him in some of our travels on the road and our two co-founders were very persuasive in bringing him on board. And then we built the team out together. And then, as I said, like in 2018, 20, early 2019, as we were starting a podcast and as Rehumanize Your Business was starting to come to market, I shed direct reporting of two teams and went on this kind of free agent inside the organization mission of being chief evangelist. And so had exposure to a lot of different stuff over that period from how do you take a company with basically no customers and no revenue and like six employees and turn it into something? By the way, the hack there is just talk to as many people as possible and tell their stories in as many channels as you can. And then built the team out and then kind of went on the solo mission to kind of do what I'm doing right now with you. A, I appreciate your interest. And B, people don't understand that this is a problem or opportunity that they face. They think that it is just video prospecting or they don't understand the consequences of entrusting their most important and valuable messages to faceless typed out text all day when they can't, you know, show up. So much of the sales and marketing effort is driving to an in-person meeting or a Zoom call. Like, man, if I can just get in front of them on a Zoom call or in person, then I'm going to be set up for success and I can really do better discovery and they can feel that I am an expert or a trusted advisor or a guide on this mission, on this journey. It's going to be so good. And so we leave voicemails and LinkedIn connection requests and send emails all yeah, trying it's all to get about this. Getting meeting. Yeah. yeah. When in fact, you could be introducing yourself earlier and more often throughout this process and creating that trust in that relationship, even before you ever connect so that when you do finally connect, you're greeted in a warmer and different way. It's a super interesting dynamic. Yeah. And so now as, as the evangelist, your mission is really to create this awareness. How much of the addressable market, I don't even want to speculate how big the addressable market is because it's too big to even fathom. It's everybody that writes emails, basically. So let's not even try to ring fence the TAM, so to speak. But there's still an awareness problem because some people might think this is cool, but they might not perceive it as a real problem that, that carries opportunity cost. How do you get them to see this as an opportunity they're missing as opposed to something that's cooled or icing on the cake or an enhancer to what they're already doing? Yeah, I mean, that continues to be a wrestling match. And I would assume that it is for anyone, especially in this environment where people are even tighter on their wallets and purses and mm-hmm. credit cards. But this remains a challenge because, again, some people, it's so funny. When I, I just watched a video that one of our co founders did, is like a recording of him out in a stage presentation eight years ago. And I just saw it a week and a half ago. And I thought, We are still advancing the same ideas today. Now the message has evolved, but we overlook now some of these basic things that people still need to see and still need to hear and still need to understand. How is this different than like, can I just do this myself? How is this different from using video and socials? Like people still wonder about some of these things. And so it's easy to overlook where the next phase of market growth is with regard to this opportunity. I mean, there's still a lot of just even general ignorance. I think people that hang out on LinkedIn all the time, I think the more this gets normalized, because to your point, one of the things that wakes me up every day and gets me out of bed is that I believe very sincerely that pretty much everyone working professionally can and should have this in their communication mix. There are moments where nothing is going to do the job better than a video message. Yeah. Um, I was going to touch on that too, Ethan. Sorry to interrupt, but- No, please. We get so misunderstood in writing, emails, even chat, the tone comes across wrong. Some people think, oh, this is passive aggressive, or is this person angry? But maybe they're not. 
Whereas if you do the video, you've got the added benefit of your tone of voice and your facial expressions and your body language. And that conveys so much more meaning than simply the words themselves. So with email and text, you have to rely on the words themselves and maybe some punctuation or emoji cons or whatever, but that, and that even doesn't then, always do justice complete- to your real emotions. No, you're completely giving away control, right? And so you do your very best. And by the way, there's research in Rehumanize about how we overestimate our ability to be clear in typed out emails. Like we think we're better than we are, which shouldn't be surprising. Humans probably are that way about a lot of things. So we're really careful and we add that little smiley face so that we can let someone know that we're joking or something and we send it. And if that person just found out that their child has fallen ill and they need to go pick them up from school, or they just found out that they got a really nice raise, or like the circumstances of their life are going to dictate how your message is read. It very often has nothing to do with you. And there's very little you can do in your writing to bring them around to you. Whereas to your point, when you capture it in a video message and you send it, you get to dictate what the message feels like. It just means you're not giving away control. You're retaining control for yourself and allowing people to go on this little journey with you. And so one of my very favorite videos of all, I recommend this to almost anybody, is the after the initial meeting video. So typically what a good sales rep will do is they'll keep notes and then they'll share some call notes after the meeting. I -hmm. recommend doing this in a video message for a few different reasons. One, the person receiving it can easily forward it to other people in the account that are either going to influence or perhaps even make the decision. And you get that FaceTime with them, even if they weren't in the meeting, but you also get to meet them where they are emotionally, right? Like what was the tone of the meeting? Are they coming to you out of excitement and an opportunity to like plus up something that's going really well in their business? Are they coming to you? out of fear and desperation? Is something on fire? Are they angry or frustrated with the dynamic and you're going to be part of the solution? Wherever they are emotionally, meet them there emotionally, use their language back to them, readdress any of the objections or concerns that came up. Again, these kind of emotional hot buttons, any of the fundamental things that they shared with you about how this might get slowed down in the account process, address that as well, assuming that you're going to have an audience with other people in that account too. Like retain that control of that emotional journey from wherever you are today to this better imagined future when we move this deal forward together and with the solution that I'm going to bring to it in like a 60, 90, 120 second video, you can kind of carry them on this little emotional journey where you're kind of acting back the way that they feel using the language that they're using, and then kind of bringing them forward to this better imagined future just to maintain that momentum. And again, to draw that out for anyone else that wasn't in the meeting, to have them feel like you understand them and that you're going to take them on that journey with you. You just triggered something there that I think is a great point, which is shareability. Now, most of the time who you're communicating with, you would probably hope that that message would get shared with some other people, maybe higher up decision makers, colleagues, other people who might influence that person receiving the message. Now, what is the chance of an email getting shared, forwarded or something as opposed to a video? I think it's inherently more shareable because it's more entertaining to consume and more engaging. And again, they get to experience you as the guide or the advisor or the expert on the topic. And when you do get them on a call, they're going to feel like they know you, even though they've never met you or been on a call with you. And it's, yeah. again, this is the interesting thing about the dynamic. You may never have seen them. You may have seen their photo on LinkedIn or on the company page or on, you know, as an executive on the whatever page of the website that is, but you haven't spent any time with them, but they're going to greet you like they know you if they've spent two minutes with you in a video message. It's super interesting. The other thing we see is that in more of a B 
B2C type play, again, I'm thinking about like real estate or mortgage or insurance. I've definitely heard stories of people sharing what my new lender, how they treat me, right? So I'm going to forward this to my family member or my friends, this kind of thing. You send a congratulations video at the end of an important transaction. People sometimes will share that on social. And so it is shareable for a variety of reasons. And I love that you tapped into that. Yeah, this is really opening my imagination a lot more than what I had realized. Well, when you're presenting live also, what they say is that like 50, 57% of your message comes across through your actual body language. Something like 30, 35% is the tone, your tone of voice. And the remaining 17%, the math is probably wrong there. The remaining 17% is the actual contents of, of your slide, the words themselves. And this is also true, I think. If you send an email you might be missing 80%-ish more of communication enhancement capabilities by only typing out that text. Yeah. I mean, any parent watching or listening, any coach or mentor has had some conversation along the lines of, listen, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. That's why we're having this conversation right now. Yeah. You know, the way we say things matters a lot. And really the fundamental thing, I learned this from Dr. Nick Morgan, who's a communication expert. He's written multiple books. And one of my favorite ones that he did was, Can You Hear Me? Which is basically about the shortcomings of a variety of digital communication channels. But the thing I picked up from him is that what humans are looking to judge above all is your intent. And this is just basic evolutionary psychology too. Your intent is, do you seem to understand me or want to understand me? Do you seem to have my best interests in mind? Are you aligned with me? Do you seem to believe what you are saying, right? Is there congruency between what you're saying and how you're saying it? And the reason we do that is like the kind of colloquial way to say it is people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Or you can go to the more academic terms of the people judge your warmth before they judge your competence. If people made decisions exclusively on your competence alone, the facts and figures, your background, your expertise, et cetera, and they took no judgment whatsoever of, is this guy even like honest? You know, like right. that would put us in a terrible situation. So humans are constantly scanning the environment and scanning every social interaction to make subconscious decisions mm -hmm. about intent or motivation. Yeah. And if you are a sincere person who is legitimately there to help, the single best thing you could do is to send that in a video because there's no mistaking it. And what people do in the absence of that information, if you just exclusively type the messages out and send it, it doesn't have intent data in it. Typing out the words that says, you know, I care a lot about you, isn't the same thing as looking someone in the eye and say, Carol, I got to tell you, we spent so much time together. I understand your situation. I care a lot about this going right for you. And so blah, 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 blah. Like there's no mistaking that I mean that. Whereas when you type it out, there's just no basis for that judgment. And when we don't give people the information they need, the visual and emotional information they need to judge our intent, the bad news is it's just the mind wants to close that gap so bad that it fills in the gaps with made up information and it does it in a protective manner. So it assumes the worst. If I can't tell if this person has my best interest in mind. I have to, for my own survival, act I, like they I don't. I remember reading somewhere, and I can't remember, but it's a similar, or maybe it's the same concept. But when somebody is meeting someone for the first time, whether it's in person or it's through a digital medium like this or in writing, the first question is, you said intent. I think it's trust. The first thing is, can I trust Ethan? Who is this guy actually? And does he have any of my interest in mind? Or is, is this someone not trustworthy? I get tons of emails where I think, nope, can't trust it. And whether it's high Paris and blah, 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 and sometimes it's personalized, but something smells wrong. Nope, can't trust it. And if you don't get over the trust hurdle, then you don't even encounter competence, which is number two, which is what you mentioned too. After I realize I can probably trust Ethan now, is Ethan competent? 
Is he someone that I can work with? Can he help me? Is he an expert at something? Does he have some skill that I need? And that's the trust factor, which kills it in many cases before you can even get to communicate your competence. That's, again, such a strong argument to do that with video, because I think that looking into the camera and being sincere conveys trust like nothing else. There's certainly nothing else that you can write in words. Well, Ethan, this, uh, this has been fantastic. I want to go on a lot longer, but I know that we both need to move on with our days here. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wish that I would have asked or that you think can benefit our audience? No, it was super fun. I wanted to follow your own curiosity and your own awareness of this. And I hope people enjoyed it and followed along. I hope some of the big ideas I shared were useful. I will say this yellow book over my shoulder, Human-Centered Communication, which I kind of referenced off the top, we included a bunch of awesome people, including Jacko Vanderkoy, founder of Winning by Design, Dan Tyre, the first salesperson and the sixth employee at HubSpot, Julie Hansen, who teaches traditional acting and improv techniques, but for video in a sales context, Lauren Bailey, the founder of Factor 8 and Girls Club, Matt Sweezy from Salesforce, a marketing futurist and a co-founder of their web three lab, like tons of awesome people. And if you go to bombbomb.com slash free book, one of our designers just spent a couple of weeks enhancing the digital copy, putting more links in, coloring it up, styling it up. So there's this enhanced digital copy that's absolutely free at bombbomb.com slash free book. And it's not just video messaging. It's how to be present more on a live call like this and these types of things. That's why I've been looking in the camera instead of looking at you on my screen. It's like, it's one of the most challenging things. But I think if people are watching the live version of this um, or the recording of it, it makes a difference. So tons of useful stuff in there for building human connection across the digital divide. Yeah. Ethan, thanks so much for being with me. We learned a ton. This was a lot of fun. I feel very inspired right now to go straight from this call and shoot some videos and send them to people. So thank you for that inspiration. And I think you've inspired our audience. This is such still a massive, massively untapped space and a great opportunity. So I wish you all the best in your future. You've been at this a long time already with BombBomb, but I feel that the best days are still ahead for you all. So good luck on that journey. And I'm really looking forward to keeping in touch. Awesome. Thank you so much for the kind words. Really appreciate the positive feedback. And again, it was fun to spend this time with you. Great. Thank you too, Ethan. Bye. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about our growth marketing agency, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P dot online. Have a great day.